Yes, I'd like to welcome you to the next episode of Crosscut Maker Podcast. And if you have been listening to this podcast over the past two years, you will know. I've been doing the podcast for probably four or five years, and I did more topical theology and things. Up until the last couple years, I pretty much focused the podcast on eschatology and current events. And, uh, but I do have uh, three websites that I focus on. And I do mostly, most of my work on social media, interactions, advertisements, things like that. And uh, the three websites where you can get all my information would be crosscutcom.com is my, kind of my home page, my home website, crosscutcom.com. Um, and what I talk about here in eschatology and current events, I also have a website where I summarize those things. And that is EOA-IND.com, which stands for End of Age Indicators. Uh, so it's EOA-IND.com. And also I have Gospel30.com, uh, G-O-S-P-E-L 30, no dash. Uh, dot com, gospel30.com. That's just a 30-second biblical gospel presentation that you can share with anybody you know who might not be converted. But on the on the podcast, I hear pretty much, I usually once a month. It's been a little bit longer this time. I think the last time I did one was December 10th. So it's been about six weeks. Today is the 25th of January. And, uh, you know, I, I just... Uh, Whenever I feel like there's enough information to talk about, then I will do a podcast. Now, there has been a whole lot, a whole lot go on since the last time we did a podcast. I mean, you know, if, if you listen to this, especially over the past six months to a year, doing these podcasts and even doing the ministry, which I believe is, I believe the Lord has called me to do this, at least have this to be part of my ministry to kind of see what's going on in the world see how it is setting the stage for the tribulation period i believe that is a ministry that the lord wants me to do but i will i struggle with it because it does it gets me too focused on news events and not enough on scripture and a lot of times it can just kind of suck me into uh worldliness suck me into discouragement because if you look around the world and you don't have your eyes on the Lord you're going to get discouraged you always would have been but especially at this point in time in our history you would get discouraged very quick and so it's easy to fall into that so I I really sometimes I think I don't know really know if I even want to do this part of my ministry anymore but uh, I still try and maintain uh, this to be us at least a small part of my ministry all right, so since, you know, I've got all of these notes, and if you just paid attention to anything on the news since December 10th, you would know that there's been a whole lot of things that have been happening. I'm just going to kind of read through some of the main things that I've seen. And actually, one of my, the first one I'm going to talk about was something I almost experienced personally, uh, which was the massive Kentucky tornado, the long track tornado that began in Arkansas and was on the ground for like 150, I think 150 to 180 miles, and it was a big tornado. It was a, I think it was an, ended up being an F3 or an F4, and it just completely devastated 
several towns, including Mayfield, Kentucky. Now, I live in southern Indiana, kind of near Louisville, and it was actually tracking, at one point, directly towards us. It was still probably an hour away, and I was getting concerned. I actually cleared out the basement, uh, cleared out the... We have uh, stairs and a finished basement, and I cleared out underneath the staircase because that's the safest place so that we could... I was about to wake up the family to go down in there thinking that it was going to be heading our way and this was destroying everything that it was coming but then it wobbled a little bit started tracking a little bit south of us realized okay it's not going to get to us but it might get south of us maybe 20 minutes but uh, praise the lord it actually kind of dissolved right about 10 minutes out from our local area but it was a massive tornado and uh, and it was pretty unusual for December and we had couple other more significant tornado outbreaks uh, from even after that, which is unusual for this time of year. But the Kentucky tornado uh, was kind of the one that was on the global headlines even for quite a while because it just flattened Mayfield and it flattened, killed a bunch of people. It killed like, I think, up to 100 people. It was between 70 and 100 people. Because it was a real dangerous thing about that, it was at night. Dead pitch black and it was a big tornado and... Uh, those are that's when you usually end up having loss of life because you can't see it coming at all. All right, and then there was a okay, we've had you know, there was an Indonesia volcano, uh, I believe that was in mid December, and then there was there's multiple earthquakes. Oh, it was actually it was a an Indonesian volcano earthquake and hurricane, uh, hurricane and lightning storm all at the same time kind of converged on this one area and I saw a video of it and it really did look like the apocalypse. It looked incredible. It was like you had the red, you had the red uh, tint in the sky from the volcano, you had the earthquake and then you had this hurricane winds and the lightning was just blowing it, I mean just blasting everywhere. It looked almost like it was a movie scene. And of course, since then, we know that we've had even a more significant event when it comes to a volcano with the, with the Tonga Tonga, Tonga Tonga volcano that blew open in the middle of the ocean and and I'm sure you probably looked on if you haven't you ought to look on YouTube or Google and see the, the satellite images of this thing blowing it looked like a nuclear bomb was going off I mean incredible that was that is incredible and of course that really did a lot of damage to Tonga and it caused a tsunami there and there were tsunami warnings all the way over to the west coast of United States and it was an incredible event just in and of itself and then also we had a Colorado fire that wiped out a significant portion of a major town um, I don't have the it's um, where the uh, Colorado University of Colorado is I don't have it right in front of me which city it was but it was a incredible event there where uh, I think thankfully nobody died in that but a lot of property got burned up and I guess there was 100 mile an hour wind gusts and there was and it just hit fast and people were literally having to drive away from their house with no warning no problem you know not able to take anything with them just to survive the fire coming at them so fast so I'm sure you saw that on the news and then Brazil had massive flooding I picked up on that and you can Check out that on YouTube if you have not seen some of those uh, images. I mean, just incredible. So you have these just continuous 
uh, catastrophic weather events. Now, of course, the world, the secular world, and the governments and everybody else is going to say, well, this is climate change, and this is why we need to make all of these adjustments. And I don't believe that. I never have. I believe these are direct uh, birth pangs from God warning us, and these things will continue to build towards the tribulation period. And because scripture teaches that significant weather events will increase towards the tribulation period and then they will explode in the tribulation period. These are nothing compared to what will be going on in the tribulation period. But it's certainly incredible to think of what's going on on a just a, a and just with weather events. All right. And then we've had a whole lot of whole lot of movement in the Middle East. And this is where primarily well first I'll deal with obviously I had Omicron variant the Omicron variant of the uh, coronavirus just started kind of creeping its head on when I did my last podcast and of course that has exploded everywhere I mean just almost staggering to uh, to realize how many people have been infected with that and now again thankfully I think that that has it has been a less uh, serious variant when it comes to the degree of sickness that it gives you, but it's still, I've experienced personally, even in my own home, I believe uh, my daughter had it, um, but she didn't get tested by the time we got her to the point where we had her looked at. They said it didn't really it was irrelevant to get her tested at that point, but it, she had the symptoms of it, but uh, and it was about a two-week sickness, but it, it was kind of like the flu. Um, but it's, I mean, everybody around me, and I'm sure everybody, I'm sure you know a lot of people who are sick as well, and it's just, it's hard to even know what, what's the flu, what's the Omicron variant, and just last night I heard there, there's a new, new variant called, called, they call it the stealth variant, called BA.2, BA and that's just brand new, I just, the first time I've heard about that yesterday, so it just seems like with the coronavirus it's just an ongoing thing. And as soon as you think that it's uh, kind of resolved itself or it's, it's turned around to the point where it'll be uh, a non-issue eventually, then, then it seems to explode in the news again. It, it seemed like that right before the Omicron variant. It seemed like things were kind of getting back again too. All right, things are stabilized here and all of a sudden, boom, that, that blows up. And, and it's a hard thing because it, it, it made so many people sick even if it wasn't serious sickness, like where it was when the coronavirus first came out, it was seemed to be doing a lot more of the respiratory things, putting people on uh, respirators in the hospital, put, you know, sending people to the emergency room. So it wasn't so much as that, but there's just so many people sick that there's just uh, so many people who can't go to work. And then you get, of course, you you have to quarantine and then if you're around somebody who has tested positive or you have to quarantine and it's just the workforce on top of everything else that was already going on with the supply chain now we're dealing with this explosion of everybody being sick at once and you have just not enough people to work as a matter of fact our garbage didn't even get picked up a couple weeks ago and they said it was because we had we did have some inclement weather but it was like an inch and a half of snow and that's never once in ever since we've lived here for 20 years that have we ever not had our garbage picked up for any amount of snow. So I'm guessing that it was because they didn't have enough workers like everybody else didn't have enough workers. So you have that massive issue going on. And again, I think the workforce 
is probably the most significant thing of the coronavirus right now is people just can't find enough people to come in and work and then people who actually do have workers they're there's have enough symptoms to where they they feel like they need to stay home so those obviously that is a significant issue and we'll just see how uh you know where my daughter goes to school they just now reinstituted the mask uh, mandate to go into school they had made it to where if you were vaccinated you didn't have to wear a mask and so it's just as soon as you think it's kind of going in the right direction, it spikes itself up and gets uh, gets bad again. All right, so you have incredible natural disasters and weather events, and you have, of course, the coronavirus still continuing. But then there's a lot of significant things going on in the Middle East, which is where I focus most of my attention because... The tribulation period is triggered by a seven-year peace agreement involving Israel, and it's a broad agreement. It's a it's a pretty significant agreement, and it's a very particular agreement. Now, if we you know if you've listened to me at all, you know that I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture or pre-tribulation removal of the church, where the the church will be glorified and removed instantaneously by Christ before the tribulation period sometime before the tribulation period my guess has always been uh, maybe a month or something before it wouldn't take long between the rapture of the church and the tribulation period to begin now the rapture of the church nobody knows the day nobody can even guess on the day it's sinful to even guess on the day the scripture teaches nobody knows the day of the return of christ and that would initiate the return of christ it it's a uh, the rapture is an imminent doctrine that is to say it is uh, there's really no direct sign for it, and there's no way to know when it will be. It will happen. In, it will happen instantly in the twinkling of an eye, and the world will know it. That's just basically what you have. Um, this, obviously, the scripture teaching on that is in First Thessalonians. Yeah, um, uh, drawing a blank here. At least chapter two, verses fourteen through eighteen. I think or it might be chapter one, and then First Corinthians. 1551 and in other various places you can go onto crosscut.com and look under um i believe it's under crosscut commentaries the one page lessons link and i have a brief lesson on the on the a biblical case for a pre-trib rapture and so that'll take you through all the texts that deal with the rapture but the point i'm making here is there is no sign for that there is no way to predict that but what makes what I'm doing, I think, feasible is that you can, what happens during the tribulation period is not something that happens in an instant. It's not something that just pops up and it happens. It ha there will be, there, there's a necessity for a long buildup to what I call stage setting for the tribulation period. And that's where, if you want to go to, to the other website, eoa-ind.com, it takes you through the seven major things that I think that you can see uh, coming to converging together for the tribute that things that will happen in the tribulation period so you can see the build-up to the tribulation period physically visibly but again we don't know the hour or the day of the rapture which I believe will be the kind of the acceleration to the tribulation period so I think you have this build-up on an earthly human level of course, God is controlling it. 
he's directing it. But then you're going to have a final accelerant that the world has absolutely no idea is coming, and that will be the removal of the church. And that will be the kind of just everything that accelerates everything to wrap it up. But that will begin with a seven-year peace agreement involving Israel. And so you have to have a peace, major, major peace process in play in order for there to be a seven-year peace agreement involving Israel. And there is a major peace agreement in play. And there has been for quite a while, obviously, ever since they've become a nation again. In 1948, there's been desires and there's been different peace accords. And, of course, last year we had the Abraham Accords. And, we you know, the main issue is the Palestinian issue now. But now you've got other events coming into play. you got Iran. And so you have just this broad Middle East uh, uh, difficulty that needs to be resolved. And the world, not just, in, not just the Middle East, but the United Nations, and the world is focusing on the Middle East and trying to resolve this issue. And so I think that's the most significant thing to watch, is that you see this progression towards a peace agreement in the Middle East. And it will obviously involve Israel. What will make this one particular again is it'll be a seven-year peace agreement. It won't be an eight-year peace agreement. It won't be a seven-year and one-day peace agreement. It'll be a seven-year peace agreement involving Israel. That's usually what I say to people when I talk about end times is I try and plant that seed. That if by chance somehow you would miss out or, or that if somebody obviously if they're not converted they won't be removed in the rapture but if you somehow could uh, the rapture would occur and people wouldn't know it I don't think that's possible but uh, that this should be alone, uh, it in and of itself enough, alone to demonstrate the truthfulness of Scripture. But the event that you can actually clearly see is that there will be a global. This is not going to be something that's going to be on the on the third page of the newspaper. This will be headline news, and it will be a seven-year peace agreement involving Israel, and it'll kind of being a global agreement as well. And so I always try and plant that seed of, if you're alive and you see a seven-year peace agreement involving Israel, seven years, you have entered the tribulation period when that is signed. That, that initiates the seven-year peace agreement that culminates in the return of Jesus Christ. The rapture does not begin the tribulation period. The rapture precedes it, I believe. But the tribulation period begins with a seven-year peace agreement involving Israel. So we have all kinds of things going on in the Middle East. And I'll just read the notes that I have and briefly address what I think needs to be addressed. i got a lot of notes here because, like I said, it's been six weeks since I did a podcast. All right, Israel moved its red line from weeks, uh, enough for one bomb, to 18 to 24 months' ability to create a warhead. So... Israel had been saying that they their red line for Iran in order to initiate a military assault on their nuclear facilities would be when they were convinced they had enough to make one bomb, which was weeks, and they had known that was this is they've said weeks for quite a while, but uh, so that red line may have already been passed. Two, they changed that to the ability to create a warhead, which I guess the difference in that is not just. Uh, weeks it goes to 18 to 24 months and so I think Israel is trying to they're trying to do everything they can to avoid launching a military attack on Iran and they are still hoping for uh, the JC you know for, for the United States and the other nations to succeed in thwarting 
the Iranian nuclear ambitions, but I think everybody who really can think through this can realize that that ship has sailed, that there is no going back to the JCPOA. They've, done, they've come way too far with their progress in the nuclear, nuclear advancement. But when I wrote this, I wrote a note here. I can't remember what day it was, but I said, in just the last two days, Iran's leadership has attempted two drone strikes on the United States military in Iraq, encouraged public chance of death to America, and called for the trial and execution of a former president. I was referring to Trump, obviously. And yet the Biden administration is holding to the hope Iran may be negotiating the JCPOA in good faith. I mean, it really is quite incredible with just observing what Iran's doing. They're attacking the United States military in Iraq. And they're, I mean, there's just, you can just see by their actions, they're not really interested in doing anything in the JCPOA. They're just trying to drag things on. But even today, I saw on the news just recent, just earlier this morning that, that the United States is realizing we're just at a very turning point now with the JCPOA. They're just running out of time. They're going to have to do a deal or they're just going to have to stop the negotiations, and which would, obviously, that would end in Israel at least, and maybe the United States would assist at that point in attacking their nuclear facilities. That would be a pretty global changing event if Israel does attack Iran's nuclear facilities in Iraq, I mean in Iran, because they would obviously respond from Iran, but not only that, you have their, all their proxies surrounding Israel in Lebanon, in Yemen, in the Gaza Strip, and they, they would all begin to immediately fire massive amounts of rockets. And you would have a full-blown war. And then you would have other countries getting involved as well because the Iranian proxies in Yemen are, are uh, last couple weeks have been uh, launching suicide drones into Saudi Arabia and into the UAE. And so the, and they have responded to those. And so you have these kind of tit-for-tat things going on right now. But if, if Israel were to actually attack Iran on their home front, you would have everybody getting involved. So I think obviously that's one of the reasons Israel doesn't want to do it because they realize that they would do some damage. Regardless, there would be damage inflicted to Israel. But they're looking at, well, if Iran gets a nuclear weapon, then the world changes even for the worse, more worse than what would be the reaction to an, uh, an attack. All right, mother, a couple other notes here. At a Hanukkah celebration earlier in December, Biden actually mentioned the rebuilding of the Third Temple, which I didn't know that. I had missed that for like two weeks, and then somebody, I saw it on YouTube. And then, uh, but even though I watched it, and even though I, to me it seemed like he, he was just saying it in passing and only to promote his agenda, it's still prophetically significant when the most powerful man in the world mentions the primary tribulation in, indicator. So we talked about the seven-year peace agreement involving Israel triggering the tribulation period. Well, the primary tribulation indicator that would that is also necessary is the third temple will be built. We know from Scripture that by the midpoint, at least, when Israel is making animal sacrifices, because the Antichrist who makes the tribulation agreement at the midpoint turns on them and shuts down their animal sacrifices and sits in the temple and claims himself to be God. So obviously, by the midpoint at least, I'd say it'd be well before that, you'd have to have the third temple built. And so my thought has always been that it will be actually part of the 
tribulation agreement, that that would be a carrot that draws Israel in, is that they will get their third temple and they'll begin to build it. And there's been all kinds of how fast it would take to build. Some people say months, some people say, say a couple of years, but it'll be built between, if that's right, if they if it is part of the tribulation agreement, then it, it won't be, it'll certainly get it done before three and a half years, which would be the midpoint. And they, in my opinion, it'd be like a year, and then they begin the animal sacrifices for two and a half years. But they'd be going on, and then he would turn on them and sit in their temple. But just the fact, and there's all kinds of talk about the Jews wanting to build their third temple now. And this has been going on for several years. This is one of the things that really got me interested in what I call prophetic tracking. Because it's always, I'm always like, you got to be careful because you got to make sure you're not looking at everything and saying, well, there's a prophecy being fulfilled, and there's a prophecy being fulfilled, because it can get a little bit neurotic. But certainly, uh, the temple will be built. And we hear legitimate talk and legitimate preparation for the third temple to be built. You, it really should catch your attention. that we, could, we very likely are approaching the tribulation period, because that will be built either before or right at the beginning of it. And so just to hear, and he did, he mentioned the actual building of it. And if you watch, you can go to YouTube and watch the video. It seemed like he didn't, he wasn't actually making a claim that, you know, we could, that he's interested in doing that. It just seemed like he was, uh, I can't remember the exact language he used, but he kind of compared it to his Build Back Better plan, and he threw in the Third Temple in the language there. But it caught a lot of people, anybody who studies prophecy, whenever they hear somebody talk about the third temple, especially, like I said, a man of the most powerful man in the world, and he is still, the President of the United States, it is eye-catching. All right, Defense Minister Benny Gantz hosted Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas at his home in Russia. I don't know how to say that last. Rosh, H-A-A-Y-N. Last Tuesday night, now again, I wrote when I wrote this note, it would have been last Tuesday night. Um, so I'm not exactly sure when I wrote that. But uh, it marked the first time the Palestinian leader held talks with a senior Israeli official in Israel since 2010. And that was the Times of Israel, that's where I got that report. Gantz also visited with Jordanian King Abdullah II, who, of course, we know that Jordan controls the Temple Mount. And they're very involved in all the peace process. And the Pope visited with Abbas, also emphasizing a need for need for a two-state solution. And this all happened in, I think, the same week or maybe a two-week time period. So you had this massive engagement of people who will be significant players in making a broad Middle East peace agreement. Um, and these are significant talks. I've said this. I think a real turning point in the process towards the, the broad peace agreement in the Middle East that will be the tribulation agreement it was the change in government in Israel with uh, Bennett and Gant Bennett and um, Lapid they just have the personalities and the interests combined together one for the two-state solution one for the temple that would make it seem like they would be the perfect people to make what would be the tribulation agreement with the Antichrist and that has been accelerating ever since they came into office. Uh, new United Nations Security Council President Mona Jewell 
calls for renewed emphasis on resolving Israel-Palestinian conflict. The issue will be elevated to a ministerial level on January 19th. And so when I read that, I think it was around the, the week before that, and so I thought that was significant. You know, I've said this before many times, is I believe that Israeli-Palestinian, that's the linchpin of the Tribulation Agreement. I think it, the Abraham Accords will be part of it. The JCPOA and dealing with the issue of Iran obviously will have to be part of that somehow. If you're going to have Middle East peace, then Iran's issue is going to have to be dealt with. Again, that's obviously going to be only temporary because Iran's going to actually invade Israel with Russia and Turkey during the Ezekiel 38-39 invasion. And I think that happens in the tribulation period, according to what I would time, how I would time it out. So it's going to resolve all of these things, but the, the issue that has to be resolved, and I think the big issue that will be resolved, will be the Israeli-Palestinian issue. Whether that ends in a, in a two-state solution or however it is, I believe that will be the central point of the tribulation agreement. And so you see all of this focus through Abbas, through the UN, with different leaders of you know, the Pope, with Gantz, with Bennett, with uh, and I'd even just, I think it was two days ago that Lapid met with a high-ranking, I think it was the second highest in command below a, below a boss, talking about the same issues. And so you have this incredible interest in peace in the Middle East. And Israel capitulated by removing settlers. I don't have all the details here. But they did remove some of their settlers from some lands that they... They had let them live there before, and I think they're just capitulating probably to the United States to, to make them happy in order to uh, keep them appeased. But that caused and is causing a lot of problems. As a matter of fact, I saw something yesterday on there's violence going on from Jews to the Palestinians. Usually it's the other way around, but there, there have been some physical beatings because the Palestinians are getting being allowed to, to enter into these lands and live, you know, they're basically they're taking their property and giving it to them. And I think, again, I think this is capitulation, trying to get something moving forward to a peace agreement. And uh, so I thought that was pretty significant. And the Biden administration is reportedly looking to build on the Abraham Accords by adding Saudi Arabia and the world's largest Muslim nation, Indonesia. And that has been significant talk over the past couple of weeks. It's one of the more recent things where, of course, when the Abraham Accords first came into play under Trump and Netanyahu, they wanted Saudi Arabia. That's kind of, they call it them the big fish. You know, that would be the biggest catch of the Abraham Accords. And they did, for whatever reason, I think they're waiting for the Palestinian issue to be resolved and other issues. Probably not real popular in Saudi Arabia. But now that Iran is actually attacking Saudi Arabia through aerial drones, suicide drones, and it's always been one of the reasons for the Abraham Accords, the primary reason, in my opinion, is because of Iran. They want it, you know, Saudi Arabia would be under just as much danger of Iran having a nuclear weapon as Israel it would be. So that's the, that's the kind of the uniting force there. But now it appears that there's legitimate talk that this may happen in the very near future. And what's also unique and different over the past couple of weeks is that the Biden administration is, is actually looking to build on the Abraham Accords. 
I think at first they really were not interested in doing anything with the Abraham Accords. And in fact, they kind of reneged on some of the agreements that Trump had made with the UAE. With I think they were going to sell them some aircraft and some uh, there was some uh, land that was going to be recognized as part of one of the other countries uh, who came into the Accords. And the Biden administration was not going to honor that. I think they they wanted to not add credence to anything that Donald Trump did. They were so opposed to that. But for whatever reason, by this time now, uh, they are interested in, and publicly interested in, building on the Abraham Accords. And even, in fact, U.S. lawmakers, I think this is separate from the, you know, the actual Biden administration interest, that U.S. lawmakers launched bipartisan caucus to promote Abraham Accords. And so now all of a sudden you have this real legitimate public interest in advancing the Abraham Accords where for the first year of the Biden administration really not much was spoken of that and almost seemed like those might fizzle away. But now there's momentum behind these things again. So you have a lot of momentum behind the Palestinian cause or you know situation wanting that to be resolved. And now you have momentum behind the Abraham Accords. And of course you have this almost crisis situation with the JCPOA and the Iran issue. So you have all of these things converging now into it's just setting up the absolute situation for for a broad Middle East peace agreement to occur, which again, I believe will be the tribulation agreement. The, the agreement that resolves these issues will actually be the tribulation agreement written about in Scripture. So you have multifaceted Middle East peace discussions are ramping up again. I mean, really ramping up again. And unless my rapture theology is wrong, the, ch the church will be with Christ when this agreement is secured. Again, you'll never hear me call a day. You'll never hear me call a month. You'll never hear me call a year. You'll never hear me call a, a festival season or anything like that. Because I believe no one knows. But, and yes, unless I'm wrong on my rapture theology... That uh, there are the three positions there. I think you, you'd have to deny scripture in order to deny, deny a rapture at all. But I do think you can make a case for a mid-trib rapture where the rapture would occur actually at the midpoint of the tribulation period. And you can make a, even, probably even a greater case than that for a post-trib rapture where the rapture would occur at Christ's actual physical return to the earth right before that. And you can make I think you can make a scriptural case for that. I don't agree with that. I still believe uh, that the rapture will be pre-tribulational and will actually set the environment for the tribulation to begin. So my, I'm like 90%, maybe a little more pre-trib, so I'm pretty confident on that position, but I'm, but I'm not dogmatic, I'll say that. And, and the mid-trib, or I'd probably go post-trib second, and then mid-trib third. But regardless... Unless I'm wrong on that 90%, and if these things are all converging, and this will be the tribulation agreement, well, then you can do the math. You know, the church, we ought to always be ready. And eschatology is always ends with an encouragement to live holy. And so it really shouldn't be a, oh, wow, I think it could be very close, so I need to straighten up my life. That's not the way it's supposed to be. But the reality is, in my opinion, just observing what I'm observing Everything seems to be accelerating. Nothing seems to have any indication of turning around, whether it be global biblical birth things like the coronavirus, like the weather events, 
like just the insanity on the world that everybody sees now. Nothing seems to be turning around. No indication this is going to level off like we've had times in history where things seem to accelerate to a point where it's insane. And then things leveled off a little bit. But what's particular about this time now, again, is, is if you want to go to that website, eoa-ind.com, there are particular things that happen in the tribulation period that are converging. That's what makes this very significant. And we've covered a lot of the peace agreement with the temple, and there's other global government that's being pushed for every day. And uh, one, uh, one world religion being pushed for. They're building that new Abraham house of family, or I can't remember the exact name of it now. We talked about it last time. Family of faith thing in the UAE. I mean, just a global push for a one world religion. Just everything that would be absolutely necessary for the tribulation period is coming together all at once. And I'm totally convinced we're barreling towards the tribulation period. But again, I don't call dates on anything. But I would say, if you're a Christian, you need to be ready. And if you're not a Christian, this would be the greatest time in human history to get converted. So there is an incredible environment of tension in the Middle East right now. Yet, there's also an incredible, unprecedented pursuit of regional peace. So it's really interesting. We've got this tension everywhere. People flying drones, suicide drones in the countries that aren't their countries. Which is war. That's what that is. It's an act of war. You've got Iran and all of its proxies doing that. You've got, uh, you know, Iran on the on the cusp of being nuclear. You've got just nonstop tension in the Middle East, but you also have unprecedented pursuit of regional peace. And so I think both of these will continue to increase until a hidden variable is thrown into the mix, and that is the sudden cataclysmic removal of Christ's true church, resulting in the tribulation triggering covenant. So there's just been a lot going on in the Middle East, to the point where I can't even really even uh, keep up with every day different things happening. And of course, I didn't even mention, because it's not exactly Middle Eastern things, of course, you, you know, I mentioned, talked a little bit more about it last time with you, the Russia and Ukraine issue going on, where, I mean, I don't know, I, I'm just observing that. My opinion is I think Putin is bluffing. I don't think he's going to invade Ukraine. That's just my opinion. But everybody else, including the president and the administration, actually think it's inevitable. Like it's almost a done deal. It's just a matter of timing now. Which if they do that, that'll be a very significant global changing event if they invade Ukraine. Because there's going to be... Ukraine is not uh, a chomp. They can fight back. And there's going to be some... There won't be just a rollover here. And then on top of that, you have NATO and everybody else trying to get involved. And you, you know, yesterday, Biden announced that they're putting 8,500 U.S. troops on high alert. And they might be shipping them over to that area. So that that would be significant. Uh, and, you know, they, they've threatened to do economic sanctions on Russia like never before. And that would be significant to the economy. I mean, just be really an incredible impact Global and globally impacting event if Russia actually does decide to invade Ukraine, but I don't know for whatever reason I think he's just he's trying to get some things and he'll get some things through diplomacy, and the more it looks like it's inevitable, probably the more he's going to be able to get. That's my opinion. I could be wrong. They could invade him today. They could invade him tomorrow. But I didn't even mention that, and that obviously is an incredible thing. People are talking about World War Three coming out of that. 
again, just with what I know about Scripture, it, it won't be World War III. World War III and all those things, will, well, those will blow open in the tribulation period. And the tribulation triggering covenant is going to be about the Middle East. And so, and, and Russia's part in the end times will be more significant in the tribulation period, where they will invade Israel, though. It won't be about invading Ukraine. Or those now again. The only way this could maybe fit in is if, if kind of like with Afghanistan falling, you know, it just kind of cleared the path a little bit more for that that Ezekiel 38 coalition to have a straighter path to Israel, because that is what is going to occur for sure. Is there will be a, an, an invasion, a massive invasion, and the three main players will be Russia, Iran, and Turkey. But that will be Israel, not Ukraine, or another country like that. So. I don't know. We'll see what happens with that. That obviously has got everybody on edge as well. And you know, I saw yesterday the stock market doing all kinds of crazy, wacky things again, like dropping a thousand points and then coming back up. And people understand and look around the world and know that things are really different than they were, and there doesn't seem to be any hope of things turning back around. And unless I'm completely wrong on about everything I believe here then things won't be turning around. And so, like I said, if you're listening to this and you're a Christian, then be ready for the Lord. We always we always ought to be ready for the Lord, but maybe maybe this will be an, an encouragement to be even more ready for the Lord to serve Him. Because if you knew, and you, we don't know, but if you knew that time was limited to months instead of your whatever lifespan you think you may have in front of you, if things just... If the Lord tarries, you probably would change the way you live. And again, I'm not saying times or anything like that, but I'm just saying if and if these things are converging, we don't have as much time as you think we have. Which ought to just make you focus on what's eternal and what's important, and that is sharing the gospel with people you know that are lost, or even planting seeds about the things we've talked about here. You know, I, I know that people cannot be converted by recognizing that a seven-year peace agreement just occurred and Oh, I heard somebody say we are entering the tribulation period. That doesn't save people. So what saves people is hearing and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, but having said that, I do pray to the Lord that I, when these seeds that I do plant, when it comes to the end times discussions that we're ha that I have here, that the Lord will use those to regenerate people or to have them to seek out the gospel or you know, would use them to bring them to faith in the genuine gospel and the genuine Jesus Christ. So I apologize that I had not done this in about six weeks. Again, I've told you why I struggle with tracking these things because it does get, it, I mean, even really being convinced that this is leading to the most incredible time in human history. And again, if you're a believer, this is scary and it's it's kind of frightening. You read the book of Revelation, you recognize what happens in the tribulation period. There's always the kind of the tension between horror for those who are lost, but also joy for the fact that it culminates in the return of Christ. So this is the the world, you know, the the history of God's sovereign eternal decree culminates in the return of Jesus Christ. All the way back that eternal decree was made before he created anything. And to think that we could actually be seeing that end time happen right dead smack in front of us, to me, is an exciting thing. 
but also I recognize just with the suffering and the and the calamity and the chaos in the world right now and the confusion difficult as well and so that's where I think that we as believers ought to use the only weapon that we have that can change somebody's eternal destination and that is the gospel and so that's why I always close these programs with a what I call a 30-second biblical gospel presentation. So if you're listening and you are converted, then I pray you'll serve the Lord even harder. Focus, you know, really tune in on, on sharing the gospel with people. Tune in on praying for people's salvation. Tune in on serving your local church. Tune in as much as you can on just working for the Lord. You know, assuming that we may not have as much time as you think. But if you're if you're listening to this and perhaps and you're just interested in a lot of people, a lot of unbelievers are listen are interested in eschatological things. As a matter of fact, I knew more about eschatology uh, than I did Christ before I was converted because you know you hear about four horsemen the apocalypse and you just hear these terminologies. So maybe you're just interested in that and you're not converted. And this is where I always end the program with a biblical gospel presentation. One day we will all face the one true and living holy God, and you need to have your sins forgiven and be reconciled to him before that occurs. In God's great love, he has mercifully made a way. And that only happens biblically by repentance, and that is a confession of your sinfulness and your hopelessness from your heart to God. A lot of times when people hear repentance, they think of, I have to stop sinning. I have to um, obey the law of God in order to be saved. And that's not what repentance is. Repentance is an inward brokenness over your sin. It's, it's not just a, oh yeah, you know, I'm a sinner, I'm not perfect, I've made mistakes. That's not, that's not godly salvational repentance. It is a genuine brokenness over your sin and your hopelessness before your God. You're humbling yourself before God. And faith. So you have repentance and faith, and that is believing the gospel. And the gospel is the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the person is that he's tr- you have to believe he's truly man and he's also truly God. You have to believe in the deity of Jesus Christ to be saved. And you also have to believe in the humanity of Jesus Christ to be saved. He is the incarnate God. So you have to identify him correctly in order to be saved. Truly, in your heart. Not just say, well, yeah, that's what I've been taught. Now you have to truly believe it and you have to own that for yourself. And also trusting only in his redemptive work. And that is, you know, we start by the person who he is and the work, uh, his redemptive work is his perfect life, death on a cross for the sins of sinners, and resurrection for your salvation. And so you are believing who he is and you're putting your entire faith and your entire hope of your eternal life and your eternal salvation in what he's done. You don't want anything of what you've done because you, what everything you've done and everything I've done and everything everyone's done outside of Jesus Christ himself is tainted with sin. And God's uh, standard for righteousness, God's standard for salvation, God's standard for being in his presence is perfection. Hence the cross, hence Christ, is that you receive... If you genuinely do this, if you genuinely repent and believe, then you will be instantly and permanently covered by the righteousness of Christ. It's called the imputation of his righteousness to you. And he will have been treated as if he committed all of your past, present, and future sins while on the cross. 
And so the, the only way you can ever be saved is if you are covered by his righteousness and he was treated as if he committed your sins. That's the gospel. The gospel is not fix yourself, make yourself better, obey the Ten Commandments, go to church, get baptized, all these other works that you have to do. Change your behavior, stop doing this, start doing that. It's not what biblical salvation is. Biblical salvation is, you first you have to come to the point where you know you need it. And there's the repentance issue of it. You're like, okay, I'm in trouble. I recognize fully, truly in my heart that I have sinned and pretty much have lived my life of sin against the Holy God. And then you have to receive Christ on your behalf. You don't, you, you can't fix yourself. You can't do anything for salvation other than to believe in Christ and to receive what he has done for you. That's the gospel, the great exchange. And there's all kinds of distortions of the gospel out there continuously. Everywhere you go, you hear a different gospel. But the saving work of Christ is he saves. And you receive that by faith. You receive it by believing and trusting in him. That's it. It sounds too good to be true to a lot of people. But that's the only way you can be saved, is to be broken over your sin and to receive Christ on your behalf genuinely. Again, you can't. it's not lip service. It has to be something that comes from your heart. If you refuse the offer of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will be judged according to your works. And unless you have lived without even one sin like Christ, will end in eternal conscious condemnation. Again, we talked about why you need the imputed righteousness of Christ on your behalf is because God's standard is perfect, moral, perfectly, you have to be perfect in all ways, perfectly righteous. And so the biblical standard repeatedly, I can take you to five, six verses that show clearly that James 2.10, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in just one point, he has become guilty of all. It shows that God's standard for obedience is perfection. And so if you reject the gospel, if you reject Christ's righteousness on your behalf, if you reject his death for sins on your behalf, his resurrection on your behalf, then you will be judged according to your life. But again, that standard that you're going to stand before is absolute perfect righteousness, and you obviously, I think anybody listening would know that you would be in trouble. And the scripture teaches that is eternal conscious torment. All right, well, I appreciate you joining in. And like I said, we'll see uh, as things move along. Hopefully I'll do one with before six weeks. But uh, as we move along, I will make another podcast when I believe it is a good time to do it. But anyway, until then, I appreciate you joining me and may Christ be known.